Well, good morning. Welcome to Dogwood Church. It's good to see you all. It's time to dismiss our children. If you have kids that need to go back to the nursery, they can be checked in now. And kids uh, through sixth grade can go back to the back doors. Uh, Cody and Sarah Grace will be getting ready to take them out for Kid Zone today. So. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you have your Bibles, to Luke chapter 1. We're going to continue on in our sermon series through, uh, through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, this is the second week of Advent. If you were able to join us last Sunday, we had a special Advent service Sunday night. Uh, at that service, we had uh, a bag with some resources, not much, but just some candles and a kind of small resource devotional that if you wanted to, at home, uh, practice uh, pausing once a week leading up to Christmas, uh, then this would be a guide for you. So if you weren't here, or if you were here and you forgot to grab one of those bags, we have um, quite a few left over, and so they're at the information table. Uh, just a little brown bag. Please grab one of those on your way out. Or if you know someone that might benefit uh, from that, of just their home, spending some time reminding themselves this season why it is we celebrate, feel free to pick up an extra one and take that with you. Well, last week as we introduced Advent, I talked about how each week of Advent there are themes that go for, that like are the focus for the week. The, the theme for the second week of Advent is Peace, And so today, as we look at the text in Luke 1, we're going to see the announcement to, uh, to Mary that she is going to have a child. Uh, we see the announcement of the coming of Jesus. Just like last week we saw this announcement to Zechariah uh, that he and Elizabeth, even though they were well along in years, that they were going to have a child, John. Uh, we see now this other announcement of another child that is coming. And so in the text we're going to learn that Jesus is the promised one. Jesus is the one that God's faithful have been waiting for. Uh, the uh, scriptures told of one to come, one that's going to right all the wrongs. Uh, and as... Throughout the nation's history, as that became more and more detailed, the faithful children of God held on to this, pro this promise, waiting for this one to finally come. He's the promised Messiah. And so the Messiah, of course, is called the Prince of Peace. Uh, he has made peace between God and man. Uh, and then, of course, he will have an eternal reign of peace. And so I've titled my sermon, The Promised Prince of Peace. We're going to see three different facts about this child and then how we are to respond to him. But I'm going to read the text. We're going to be looking at Luke 1, 26 through 38 today. So uh, let's read that and then I'm going to pray for us. Luke 1, starting in 26, in the sixth month... The angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. 
But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, How can this be, since I have not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One of God... I'm sorry, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. Then... The angel left her. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word is good and true. As we confess each week, we confess it again. Help us believe it. Uh, Help us trust. And Holy Spirit, work now in our hearts and minds uh, that we will believe, that we will respond according to what your word is calling us to. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The first thing I want us to look at in this, before we get to the, uh, the message about this promised child, is just the setting uh, and the characters that are a part of this story. So the first few verses that we're going to be looking at kind of provides that. Where we are, who is a part of uh, what's happening here. So let's look again, Luke 1, 26 through 29. In the sixth month... The angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. So last week... As we started Luke 1, we saw that Gabriel was sent to Zechariah. Zechariah, God had orchestrated the events to uh, when Zechariah was chosen by Lot to go into the temple and offer the sacrifice, uh, offer the burning of the incense, uh, that an angel, Gabriel, would give him this message that he is going to have a child, even though he is old, even though his wife is well along in years and she has never been able to conceive, she is going to have a child. And now we see Gabriel in the sixth month, because last the verses ended with Elizabeth concealing herself uh, for five months. Elizabeth conceived just as Gabriel told Zechariah it would happen, and she kept herself in seclusion for five months. And now, in the sixth month, Gabriel is sent again to give another message. 
And so this time, however, instead of going to the temple, instead of going to the city of Jerusalem, the, you know, the height of places for the nation of Israel, he sent to a town called Nazareth, this small city in the region of Galilee. This is north of Jerusalem. Nazareth is an insignificant place. Nazareth was of really insignificant uh, value to the nation of Israel for the most people, the way they thought of it. Uh, Nazareth was uh, known as an outpost for Roman soldiers. So the, the Roman government had a group of soldiers stationed at Nazareth to be prepared should there be an invasion from the north. And there were lots of Gentiles that lived there. And what that led to was, for the Jews who did live in Nazareth, there was a large percentage of intermarrying between Jews and Gentiles, uh, which was forbidden. And so most people outside of Nazareth, most of the Jews outside of Nazareth, looked at it as not a great place. That's why when we see in John's Gospel... Uh, when Philip uh, is called by Jesus to follow him, Philip goes to Nathanael and says, Hey, we found him. We found the promised one. We found the Messiah. And John 1, 45 to 46 says, Philip found Nathanael and he told him, We found the one Moses wrote about in the law. And so did the prophets Jesus, the son of Joseph of Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked him. And of course, there's no answer there, but the implication with the question is, seriously, the promised one of God is from Nazareth? This was not a place that people looked up to. But here in this setting, we get this introduction that this is where Gabriel is sent for his next message. He goes to an insignificant place. And then the, the next interesting thing, the next thing that is puzzling from a world standard is who he goes to visit. He goes to visit a young girl named Mary. He goes to visit a virgin who is engaged and her name is Mary. Now, the first visit from the world standards, makes sense, right? Uh, you have Zechariah, a faithful priest who's faithfully served God all of his life, and he's at the temple, and he's in the temple offering the, the sacrifice, burning the incense as a, as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. They're praying for God to act. It makes sense from the world, the way the world thinks of things. This makes sense that God would send an angel to him to give him a message that, hey, I'm about to do something amazing. But from the world standards, this seems odd. This seems out of place that an angel would also go to a place like Nazareth. That people are like, really? That place? Uh, and to a young girl... 
we don't know how old she is, but based off of like the you know what we know of the time, she's probably a young teenager. She's probably 13, 14 years old. Could be a little bit older, could be a little bit younger. We don't know, but she's engaged to be married, and this seems out of place. But that's good news for us. Uh, that's good news for everybody. And Luke's gospel does a beautiful job of that. We're going to see that as we continue because we're going to be in Luke for a while. Uh, Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit, of course, is trying to point out that Jesus isn't here just for the really significant people. Jesus isn't just here for the really elite, the really important ones. Jesus is the Savior of the whole world. And he paints that over and over again. We see more accounts of uh, Jesus' ministry that involve interactions with women in the Gospel of Luke. We see more interactions of Jesus' ministry to Gentiles in the Gospel of Luke because Luke, inspired by the Spirit of God, is saying, He's the promised Savior of the entire world. And so he's not just for the really significant individuals. I like the way Daryl Bach wrote it. I read in one of my commentaries this week. He says, Our God may be the God of all creation. However, he's no elitist. And that's good news for us, right? Mary, someone that the world would think, what's Mary have to offer, Right? Uh, from a place that people really look down on, this podunk town. What does, what does someone from this place have to offer? And God is here. God cares about them. And God uses people from places like that. That's good news for us all. Now, betrothal. We find out that she's engaged or betrothed. Uh, betrothal in this time is more than just kind of an engagement, the way that we would think of an engagement uh, today. It was contractually binding. Uh, And so if you were betrothed, it was about a year-long process. The groom would pay the price to the family for the bride, and they would have an agreement, a contract that was saying this is going to be, this will end in the one-year period with a marriage. And if you were going to break that, it wasn't like in our culture today that if two people who are engaged decide, you know what, this just isn't working out. I don't think we need to go through with this. You just call it off today. Here you actually had to get divorced. So this was a, uh, this was a commitment. They were committed to being married. And so we find out that Mary is engaged or betrothed, and the person that she's betrothed to is Joseph. And we get this little note about him. He's from the house of David. He's from the house of David. Now these are introducing the ideas, and we're going to see as we work through this text. These are, uh, if you're familiar with the Old Testament prophecies, these are introducing the ideas. Hey, something significant's about to be said here. Something significant is happening here because we have uh, Isaiah 7 talking about the virgin is going to conceive and have a son and he he will be called Emmanuel, God is with us. And then other prophecies about the promised one of God that's coming is going to be from the line of King David. And so we're getting these introductions here. 
these individuals are going to play a, a monumental role in what God is doing. He's stepping onto the scene, working some miraculous things out to bring about his plans for this world. And then the last thing to point out with this setting uh, and the characters here, in verse 28 and 29, Gabriel greets Mary and he calls her favored woman. Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. And I think what we see in this is a little bit of Mary's character, right? Mary uh, does not think, yeah, that sounds about right, right? It says she's troubled by this and she's trying to figure out what in the world does that mean? Uh, Mary hears this statement from the angel and she thinks, that doesn't seem fitting at all. That doesn't describe me at all. Favored woman, the Lord is with me. What in the world is he saying here? And she's troubled by that. And I think that shows us Mary's humility. We're going to see it later on in this text too, but I think that's the first introduction to her being a humble uh, girl, a humble young woman. And she says, I, I don't see how this lines up with who I am. Um, so... Now that we've looked at the setting and we've seen the characters, uh, what I want us to spend the rest of our time is looking at this announcement about this child that she is going to come, or that she's going to carry. The the message that Gabriel has for us, it gives us some very important details about the promised child. The first of those is this, Jesus is the Savior that the world needed. Jesus is the Savior that the world needed. Needed. Let's look at verses 31 again. 30 and 31. Luke 1, verse 30. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. Jesus. The name means Savior or salvation. It's the Greek name that comes from the Hebrew name Joshua, which means the Lord saves. And so the angel says, this is the name that this child will be called, Jesus. Now, she may not know immediately what that means, but the name is significant, Savior. This child is the Savior. And we see in Matthew, uh, as the story plays out, so Joseph finds out, and we learn that Joseph is considering about putting her away, away privately, right? He's going to divorce her because he found out that she is carrying a child, but he's an honorable man, and he doesn't want to disgrace Mary. And he doesn't want to shame her and drag this out in public. And so he's going to put her away privately and divorce her privately. And then an angel comes to Joseph. And we see recorded in Matthew 1, starting in verse 20. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. 
So as the, the story plays out more, and as Joseph is told, no, it's okay, you need to marry her, and this is what God is doing, he's sending the Savior. He's, this child is going to save the people from their sins. He's going to be the one who can forgive us. Right? And Scripture's clear. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of God's glory, of God's will for our lives. And so every single one of us needs a Savior. Every single one of us needs someone who can make a way for us to be forgiven, for us to be made right with God again. And Jesus, we're finding out in this text, the child that Mary is going to carry... Jesus is that Savior of the world. And as Gabriel continues to talk to her about this child, uh, we learn he's the one that they've actually been looking for. He's the one that they've been longing for from the time of the fall. So the second point is this. Jesus is the promised Messiah. Jesus is the promised Messiah. And so let's look at verses 32 and 33 back in Luke 1. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob, and his kingdom will have no end. Gabriel goes on to say, This is the Messiah. This is the one that we've been, like, that God has been saying is going to come. The one that's finally going to right all of the wrongs of this world. Scripture records uh, promises from God to send someone to fix the brokenness of this world because of our sin. Even before the, the term Messiah comes onto the scene, all the way back to the garden. Right In the garden, when God is speaking the curse on the serpent, He says, there will be one who comes from Eve. There will be a descendant of Eve who's going to crush the head of the serpent. And the people of God, the faithful people of God, have been looking for the snake crusher. Right, They've been longing for the one that's finally going to Fix all of the brokenness that our sin has caused. And so Luke records this message from Gabriel to Mary. He's here. He's coming. He's going to be your child. This Messiah that you've been longing for. Now the words that he records here take us back to God's covenant with David. When we look at 2 Samuel, we see the promise from God speaking to David. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7, we have these words recorded. 2 Samuel 7, 12 and 13. This is the Lord speaking to David, the king. When your time comes and you rest with your fathers... I will raise up after you your descendant who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. 
He is the one who will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. David promised by God in the, in the Davidic covenant or God's covenant with David, he is promised, you're going to have a child that I raise up and he is going to be the one that has an eternal reign, has a kingdom that does not end. Now, there is parts of that prophecy that are speaking about Solomon, but Solomon's not the promised Messiah. Solomon's going to miss the mark tremendously in lots of ways. But that is also pointing ahead to this child saying, I'm sending one and he's going to have an eternal reign. And Isaiah's prophecy picks up and uses some of this same language. And Isaiah talks about that reign is going to be a reign of peace. And so in Isaiah chapter 9, we see these words, familiar passages around Christmas time. Isaiah 9, verses 5 through 7. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child will be born to us, born for us. A son will be given to us. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. Isaiah prophesying of this child that's going to be born, this one that's coming, that he will be a prince of peace. He will have an eternal reign. And later on in Isaiah, in chapter 11, we see this uh, description of the reign of the Prince of Peace, the reign of the Messiah that's coming, and all of creation is put right. Not just humanity, but all of creation, because Isaiah, 9, or Isaiah 11 goes into this description and says, the calf and the lion will be able to dwell together. The, the wolf and the lamb will be able to eat together. The, even the animal order that's been broken because of sin is going to be made right by the promised Messiah. His reign of peace will fix all of the brokenness of this world. And it will never end. And so Luke, recording this message from Gabriel... Gabriel tells Mary, this is who your child is. The one that you're going to carry, it's the promised one. He's the one that you've been waiting for, that the nation has been waiting for since the fall. God's people have longed for this child. Now, you may think, well, how in the world could one person write the brokenness of this world? We know the effects of like good leaders and bad leaders, but how could one person fix the complete brokenness of creation? And 
what we see recorded here from Gabriel to Mary clarifies this is how this one is going to fix all of the brokenness because of who he is. It's because of who he is. And so that takes us to the third point. Jesus is the divine Son of God. Jesus is the divine Son of God. Let's look at verses 34 and 35 back in Luke 1. Mary asked the angel, How can this be, since I have not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. This child is going to be the Son of God. Now, Mary's question seems similar to Zechariah's, right? Zechariah asked Gabriel the question. He says, how could I know this? Like, you've promised that my wife is going to have a child. How could I know that that's going to happen? Because I'm an old man, and she is well along in her years. And so Mary asked a question also. Mary says, how can this be? But there is a difference Zechariah's question was asked with doubt. Like, how could God do something like this? Like, how could that take place? Mary's doesn't seem to be doubting that God could do it. It's more of a, like, how is it going to happen? Like, if, if this is what you have planned for me, how could this be the case? Because I, the, the language literally says, I don't know a man, but in the 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 culture of the time, what that means is I am a virgin. I have not had sexual relations with a man. So how in the world could I conceive a child? So it's not doubting that God could do it. She's just wanting to know how could this take place. She has not been intimate with a man yet. And so we don't have to doubt that God can work miraculously to cause this to happen, right? If God is all-powerful, which He is, and if God can create life out of nothing, which He can and He did, He certainly can also work miraculously to cause Mary to conceive a child even though she has never known a man. He is the God of all creation. He can bring life out of nothing, and that's what he does. And so Gabriel goes on to explain this. He says this is how it's going to happen. He doesn't rebuke Mary for asking the question. He, he d- gives her the details of this is how it's going to happen. And so the angel replies to her in verse 35, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. He explains, it's the presence of God that's going to make this happen. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit that this is going to happen. And so the language that's used where it says the power of the Most High will overshadow you, that word for overshadow is the word that is used repeatedly about the presence of God. This will be possible where the world says this cannot happen, this will be possible because of the presence of God. 
And we see at creation, right, in Genesis 1 and verse 2, the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. And it's through the presence of God and the power of the Holy Spirit that all of creation is brought into existence. And so that same idea of the Spirit of God being present... Gabriel says, that's what's going to happen, Mary. The presence of God and the power of the Holy Spirit of God is going to cause you to conceive and cause this miraculous thing to happen that is not possible from a human standpoint, but is completely possible from what God is going to do. God is going to cause this to take place. He is going to bring life out of nothing. And so since this is the work of God, and since there is no human father, this child that you're carrying, Mary, he's going to be known as the Son of God. He's the Son of God. He's already, already been referred to as the Son of the Most High. But again, this is the Son of God. Now John helps clarify uh, for us. John doesn't have the birth narratives like Matthew and Luke record, John goes further back. John goes back to the very beginning when he introduces us to Jesus. And we see, and I love John chapter 1. We see these words recorded. John 1 verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then if we skip down to verse 14, we get the clarification of who is the he that it's talking about. When it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and was God. Verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth, the The Word who was with God and who was God is God's Son. And so this promised child to Mary is the divine Son of God. He eternally existed with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He was with God from the beginning. The divine Son of God came into this world to accomplish the will of God the Father, to save His people from their sins. And Scripture's clear. He's coming again. He's coming again. Scripture says that He will rule. He will reign forever. And His kingdom will have no end. And it will be a kingdom of peace. So the question for us is, what do we do with a message about this child? We've seen that this child that Mary brought into the world through this miraculous conception, this child is the Savior of the world. It's the only Savior that could fix the brokenness and provide us forgiveness of our sins. We see that this child is the promised Messiah. 
the one that God had promised to send, who would rule forever. And we see that he's the divine son of God. What do we do with that? And so I've saved our application of what I think we should do with this for the end because this message to Mary was one message. Uh, The message is, you're going to have a child and he's the savior of the world. He's the promised Messiah. He's the divine son of God. Mary receives all of this information about this child that she's going to have. And so what do we do with that? And I think the last couple of verses give us ways for us to still apply this to our lives today. There are two things for us to do with this message about this child that Mary brought into the world. That is, first to believe. We must believe this about our Savior. Let's look at verses 36 and 37 in Luke 1. God, in his kindness to Mary, gives her things to, gives her one a sign to hold on to. So this is how you'll know it's actually happening. And two, here's a promise, here's a fact about our good God that you can hold on to, to know that this is actually going to take place just as I've told you that it would. And so first is the sign in verse 36, and consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. So he gives her something. You can go and see. Uh, The news hasn't gotten out, right? Because Elizabeth has kept herself in seclusion for five months. So Mary, even though she's a relative of Elizabeth, does not know that Elizabeth, who was called childless, is carrying a son. And he says, if if you need to see and believe that this is actually going to happen, what I've said is going to happen to you, go to Elizabeth. And you're going to see she's in her sixth month. You will see life where there was no life for the one who was called childless. And so God in his kindness gives Mary this sign as this is how you can believe it. Go and see and you'll believe it. And then he gives her this truth about our loving God that we should hold on to, to help us believe. Verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. So as Mary says, how could this happen? How could this take place? I I don't know a man. Nothing will be impossible with God. I was talking to Sarah Grace about that verse this week as I was studying, and it struck me to think about the how much anxiety I could rid myself of, how much worry and fear I could rid myself of about how things are going to play out and, and is God going to be able to accomplish this. If I could just believe that, nothing will be impossible with God. And she said something that I thought was significant and important. She said, look at the language of that. 
Because we normally think of it as nothing is impossible with God. And it's the same idea, the same reality. But she says the language that's used is future tense. Nothing will be impossible. Whatever God has planned, whatever God wants to do in our lives, there is nothing that He has planned for us that He will not be able to accomplish. He will be able to do it. And He's going to do it. And so, Gabriel gives Mary this beautiful truth about our good God to say, hold on to this. You want to know how? You want to believe that this actually is going to happen to you? Believe the reality that nothing is impossible. Nothing will be impossible with God. So the first thing for us to do is to believe, church. And the second thing that we need to do with this message about this Savior is to humbly submit to Him. And that's what Mary models for us. Mary does a beautiful job of modeling how to respond. Look at her words in Luke 1, verse 38. I'm the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. So we see her humility again. Her humble view of herself. She said, I'm just God's servant. I'm a servant of the Lord. And so whatever he has planned for me, let it happen. Let it be. Exactly what you said, let it happen to me. Now, the reality for Mary, who is not married yet, is only in the betrothal process. There's going to be some shame that comes with that. There'll be questions about her integrity, questions about her purity. We know in Jesus' ministry, there's a couple of times that it's recorded where the Jews refer to him as illegitimate and call into question, Who is your father? So we know for this young girl who has not been with a man, who is not married to Joseph yet, that this is going to carry shame. And it could lead to Joseph saying, all right, I'm I'm out, I'm done. And Mary doesn't worry about those things. She just submits to God. I'm the Lord's servant. May it be done to me just as you said. Whatever God wants for me is perfectly fine with me. So the question for us, will we believe and will we humbly submit to God? That's what we're supposed to do with this good news about this child who came almost 2,000 years ago. Will we believe this message And will we submit? If you have never believed in Christ or trusted in Christ for your salvation, that's the most important thing for you today, is to believe that God fulfilled His promise to send a Savior to the world, send the one that's going to right all of the wrongs and allow us to be forgiven of our sins. Believe that. And Scripture is clear that that's all you need to be saved. 
and to be forgiven is to believe in the one that God sent. So would you believe? And would you submit to God? And if you want to know more about the good news of the gospel, if you want to know more about how Jesus came into this world and what he accomplished for the finesse of your sins, schedule a time to meet with me. You can fill out one of the yellow cards and just say, I want to meet with the pastor and I would love to share with you the good news of the gospel. But church, this is not just a call for salvation. That's most important for us to believe and submit to God for our salvation if we have not done that yet. But this is also important for us today, even if we have believed and submitted to God for our salvation decades ago. We still need this message. We still need to believe and we still need to submit to God. We need to remind ourselves often, daily, moment by moment really, that these are facts for us. That God loved us enough that He sent His Son to save us from our sins. I need that news every day when I open my eyes and every day when I lay down at night and for every moment in between, I need the good news of the Gospel that God sent a Savior for me. That God is a God who keeps His promises. That nothing is impossible and nothing will be impossible with God. I need that message. All of us do. Day in and day out. So this isn't just a call for you to believe for your salvation. It's a call for us every single day to believe that this is the God that we serve. That He loves us. And then He sent His Son for us. And so as I'm struggling with sin, that's the message I need. God sent His Son to die for that. You don't have to submit anymore to that. You have the Spirit of the living God living in you. You can fight this. And when I'm hopeless about the situation that I'm in, I can hold on to this message that God loves me and God sent His Son for me. So will we believe, church, and will we humbly submit and say, God, whatever you have for me, I'm just your servant. May it be done to me as you please. Let's pray. God, you are good and you are faithful and you always have been. Forgive us for the times we don't believe truly, even if we can say the words. Sometimes we have our doubts. Forgive us, God. Help us trust this good news today and every day. Help us trust this good news this Christmas season to help us kind of keep our thinking right. That you're a good God and that you've sent your Son for us. God, if there's anyone here who has not trusted in Him, has not put their faith in Him for salvation, I pray that you stir their hearts and minds right now to realize they need Jesus. Stir their hearts to speak with me or another believer about how they can trust in Him. And God, for all of us here at Dogwood Church, we want to be, we want to be a people who will 
always believe these truths and, and submit to whatever you have for us as an individual and as a church, we want to say, we're just your servants. May it be done to us as you please. Help us live that way. Use us for your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.